This is exactly right. They were just a regular family with a child. If you see them in Serbia, you would think this is just another completely normal Serbian family. After the Dubai heist, Mladen Lazarevic, the mastermind, and his co-conspirator and girlfriend, Bojana Mitic, returned to Serbia. They had pulled off something truly spectacular. They had plenty of money, and they decided it was time to settle down. Here's reporter Jelena Zoric. We're hearing her through a translator. They preferred a more quiet life. They were buying their apartments, they got their kids, they had their family life, and that worked fine for them. They get married, have a son, and reportedly open a fitness club in Belgrade. As much as anyone could tell, they were, in fact, leading a quiet life. They could live very well in Serbia with the money that they got after each robbery, so they didn't want to complicate things more and go any further. They could feel pretty safe away from Dubai police, away from Interpol. It's a dream of domestic tranquility, paid for by crimes that are firmly in the past. But in 2013, a bomb is discovered under Bojana Mitic's car. Luckily, it falls to the ground without detonating. The police are called. And when they question the couple, Mladen and Bojana express total shock. Who could possibly want to kill them? I'm Natalia Antalava. I'm a journalist based in Eastern Europe. And I'm going to take you into the world of Serbia's most brazen jewel thieves. The most daring and successful diamond thieves in the world. 30 to 40 seconds, they're in, they're out. They've stolen half a billion dollars worth of valuables. Two well-dressed men strolled into an exclusive jewelry store in London and walked out with $66 million in jewels. They're called the Pink Panthers. They're a loosely connected crew of overeducated, underemployed, ambitious young people who rose from the ashes of the Yugoslav wars of the 1990s to commit elaborate smash-and-grab heists all across the globe, often in broad daylight. This is Infamous International, the Pink Panther story. Episode 9, Crime Doesn't Pay. He did a couple of heights, one of them pretty spectacular, but he didn't have the reason to believe that someone would want to kill him in Serbia. It's been six years since the Wafi Mall heist in Dubai. And although Mladen Lazarevic planned and led that job, he has seemingly gotten out of the game. It was Milan Lipoya who had taken most of the spotlight in the years since. Serbian investigative journalist. Jelena Zoric. Milan, in fact, was the most important person after Mladen, but he was presented in the media as the main one, as the number one. Milan didn't mind having this reputation. He liked the role to be presented in the media as the main one. Milan also returned to Serbia, but he was less interested in settling down. He opened a nightclub, he had a yacht and would cruise the Mediterranean, inviting rich and beautiful people aboard for lavish parties. 
His favorite destination when he was sailing on his yacht was between the Italian and French coast near French Riviera. And during these little cruises on his yacht, he was spending tons of money, hundreds of thousands of euros. And his guests were usually the famous businessmen and also the world-famous models. Milan is hardly keeping a low profile, despite the fact that he's a wanted man. So during this time, there were people who were looking for him, but he was somewhere near French Riviera having fun. So at that time, they didn't find him. Milan would often videotape his escapades and share them with his friends back in Nice. And every video ends with the same sentence. The, the sentence was, well, two days after these parties, after all this fun that I used to have, I didn't have a penny in my pocket, so I had to go and steal again so that I have some money to live with. And Milan did go and steal again. He continued to pull heists around Europe until he was finally arrested, tried and sent to prison. He spent nearly a decade behind bars. When he returned home, he didn't last long. The criminal world in Nish had changed, become more dangerous as rival gangs battled for turf. Milan chose a side, and it cost him his life. His violent end had a certain logic to it. But why would Boyana's car be targeted with a car bomb? Both she and her husband had left the life of crime. Police assume the bomb was actually intended for Mladen, and the media is quick to start digging into his background. It's very interesting that in our country, practically nobody was talking about him until the bomb attempt. That's when the media started talking about him and that's when they said, okay, this person might be someone who is involved with the Pink Panthers, but they never mentioned it before. Journalists try to contact Boyana too, but she's not talking. Reporter Yelena Zorich reaches out to her repeatedly. She was not in the mood to give any statement. She refuses any way of communication with anyone. Boyana even takes down her Twitter profile. She used a picture of a diamond as her profile picture. But when they tried to kill her husband, obviously, it wasn't funny anymore. So she removed it and she, she was not active there either. The case of the attempted bombing is never solved. Then, two years after that failed car bomb, there is another attempt on Mladen Lazarevich's life. He's waiting at a stoplight in his Land Rover when an Audi pulls up next to him. A man jumps out of the Audi and approaches Mladen's Land Rover. Yelena Zorich again. This all happened in the suburbs of Belgrade. He was in his car when they started shooting at him and there were 30 shots. Somehow, Mladen is able to pull away as bullets fly around him. Blood pouring down his face, he manages to drive to the nearest hospital. Incredibly, he has suffered only superficial wounds, cuts on his face and head from the shattered glass of the windshield. Again, he's questioned by the police. And again, he claims he could not be more surprised. He even says in the hospital that he doesn't understand why that happened to him because he didn't have any enemies. So he wasn't sure who would want to kill him. Mladen is well aware that whoever is trying to kill him is still out there. The police assigned a guard to stay outside his hospital room. 
and of course he didn't feel safe so his friends managed to take him from the hospital they practically kidnapped him from the hospital even with a police officer stationed outside his room Laden manages to leave with his friends as an extra precaution they've picked him up in an armored car the person who provided this armored car his name is Dragan Mikic Dragan Mikic a name we've heard before I spoke to my colleague, reporter Ilan Greenberg, who gave me some context. Ilan, so the last time we were talking about Dragan Mikic, that was when he broke out of a French prison and then he basically vanished, he disappeared. And because of that, I I was a bit shocked when Yelena Zorich suddenly mentioned him again. Well, look, if you think about it, Serbia is a small country, Nisha is a small city, and these guys, even if they're not part of a, you know, a unified criminal syndicate, they're still all in the same business. They're like friendly associates. Sure, sure, that all makes sense, but can you just bring us up to speed on who this guy Dragan Mikic is? Yeah, his name comes up all the time in stories about the Pink Panthers. People say he's one of the leaders of the gang and you know, he's a big guy. He's like six foot six with muscles on top of muscles. Remember that the Paris police detective, Hervé Kanan, said that Mikic did 2,000 push-ups a day in prison. So he's an intimidating presence, and pretty clearly, he's someone with influence. A couple of fellow Panthers wielding AK-47s broke him out of that French jail, and he ended up back in Serbia. Where apparently he has access to an armored car he can lend to his friendly associate, Mladen Lazarevic, when he needs one, right? Yeah, and and more than that, because don't forget, Milanin is in the hospital. He's recovering from his injuries. He has a police guard sitting right outside his room. Dragan Mikic also helps with that. Does he now? Yes. Mikic was arrested for making forged documents. He had a partner, a woman, who turned out to be a member of the police. So it appears that Mikic may have had connections on the police force who could get that officer outside his hospital room to stand down or at least not get in the way when Mika shows up with that armored car. So with the help of his friends, Mladen is safe again. And now he's not taking any chances. Mladen Lazarevic has his own security. And these are actually the ex-members of the special police units against terrorism. Some of them actually are working like a private security, and that's what he has at this moment. But why would anyone want to kill Mladen, the former jewel thief turned family man? Based on her reporting and sources, Yelena Zorich has an idea. So all those stories about his family life with uh, with Buena, with his wife, uh, that's actually not happening anymore, and he's doing something completely different. Mladen Lazarevich's life is much more dangerous today than what it used to be when he was in Pink Panthers because he is the most powerful cocaine dealer in our country. Yelena Zorich believes that Mladen Lazarevich is, in all likelihood, a powerful crime boss. Based on recent reporting, we think that he is likely working for Clan America a Balkan gang with connections to the South American drug trade. So, this image of the quiet family life with Boyana, it's a front. 
Boyana is someone who is the wife of a narco boss, definitely. And he is not just any narco boss. He is the most important one in this area. Mladen Lazarevic celebrated his 37th birthday in 2021. The party brought out some notable guests. It's known as a fact, for example, that the last year he celebrated his birthday in the town of Nish. And for this celebration, for his birthday, other people who were invited, those were also other big cocaine bosses of West Balkans. And police is aware of what's happening and who is right there, but there is no reaction from their part whatsoever. All of this might explain why Mladen wasn't questioned more forcefully by the police after he was attacked. Why his police escort allowed him to leave the hospital in that armored car, and why his name had not been publicly associated with any major crimes. The police and prosecutors when they hear his name in a connection with any murder or any severe crime, they simply just ignore it. And when you ask around in a niche about him, people are just scared. They don't want to share anything with you. He is a very dangerous man, and he is more dangerous than he ever used to be before. We asked Olivera Cherkovich, the former basketball star and convicted Pink Panther, for her thoughts about Bladen. Her son Nicholas is translating here. I was not the, the part of the team who did it in Dubai. We can talk about the guys who were in Dubai because two of them are close friends of us, so we really know the story, but I don't want to speak of them. Over the past several years, the criminal underworld in the Balkans has come to be dominated by two major clans, the Kavaks and the Skelieris. In 2021, about 30 criminals associated with the Kavak were arrested and charged with multiple counts of kidnapping, rape and murder, including the killing of Milan Lepuya. As of this recording, trials are still ongoing in Belgrade. It has become a media sensation throughout the Balkans. Tabloid media are all over it. You have front pages full of these gruesome, bloody details. Ivan Angelovsky is a Serbian investigative journalist now based in Canada. He says that local tabloids are obsessed with all the grisly details that are emerging from the trial. It's not easy to read front pages where you can see pictures of people smiling, holding other people's severed hats, which you can see right now on front pages of some of the Serbian tabloids. So it's a very chilling atmosphere. The court proceedings have offered a particularly graphic look inside the dangerous world of drug trafficking. They have several insider witnesses and they don't spare any words in describing the gruesomeness of those murders. They would photograph their victims and they would send those images and videos to their bosses. And one message, if I remember correctly, was, can you see this boss? It's Mexico in central Belgrade. So you can say that they were implementing brutal practices of criminal groups in South America. It's the same region that they would traffic the cocaine from. 
but the trial is drawing attention for more than its gory details. The trial is heavily politicized and everyone is following it because of political connections. As we've heard before from numerous journalists based in the Balkans, in Serbia, the ties between organized crime and the state run deep. And according to Angelovsky, that's particularly true in the case of the Kavak clan. They have, you know, their financial interests, they have their political connections. It is often considered that the members of this group are in one way or the other connected to the ruling party here in Belgrade. So everything around them has political consequences. And as we've seen, whenever crime and politics intermingle in Serbia, soccer or football is usually somewhere in the mix too. So the group that's on trial, they are members of an organized crime group, but they're also supporters of a football team in Belgrade. It's often considered that who leads the supporters on football stadiums, they lead the narcotics trade in the country. So the group that's on trial are main traffickers of cocaine from South America to Europe. Reporter Ivan Angelovsky thinks all this media focus on the Serbian government's alleged ties to organized crime is unlikely to do much to stem the country's corruption. It's not the first time we're seeing this. We were in this situation before, you know, first democratically elected prime minister of Serbia, Zoran Djinjic, was murdered in 2003. We had a similar atmosphere as we have now. Back then, the uh, organized crime killed the prime minister. And that was a watershed moment because people figured out how deep politics was involved with organized crime. Because, you know, organized crime never died down, we are now seeing this. Two of the defendants who testified in the trial admitted that they actually work for the Serbian government, claiming they've met several times with the country's current president, Aleksandar Vucic, who asked them to perform various, quote-unquote, favors over the years. Vucic has publicly denied all of these allegations. The trial has revealed shocking details about the nature of Serbia's criminal cartels, their fascination with the brutal style of their Central and South American business partners, their entrenched connections to the country's political class. And it has brought attention to another story, a more personal one, as troubling as it is hard to prove. It's important just to remember this information. Mladen Lazarevic in Niš, he had a nickname, and his nickname is Mladenče. That's like a little Mladen. Little Mladen, a cute nickname for someone who's potentially a very dangerous man. Jelena Zorich's source tells her that Mladen knew that Milan Lepoja had joined up with the rival clan, the Scaliari. And he was not pleased. The fact that there were taped conversation when there was an investigation about the murder of, of Ljepoja. And in these taped conversation, several times the name of Mladenče was mentioned. So he was aware of what's going on with Ljepoja. And he was not happy with the fact that Ljepoja was with the gang of Škaljari. It's possible that the so-called Little Mladen was involved in some way in the murder of his old friend, Milan. But so far, 
he has not appeared at the trial. Despite the fact that the name of Mladen was always present in this conversation, the police actually never invited him to testify. None of this is proof that Mladen Lazarevich was involved in the killing of Milan Lepoyan. And Yelena says that she can't fully verify this claim. The trial is ongoing as of the recording of this episode. While the cinematic tale of Milan Lepoyan, Miladin Lazarevich and Bojana Mitic may sound like something straight out of Hollywood, for Yelena Zorich, there is little to root for in their story. So many people will probably try to make this story a little bit more romantic. They will probably talk about their spectacular heist, especially the one in Dubai. They're going to tell you how unique, how spectacular this was. But for me, this story is far away from that. It's not just the simple thieves who are maybe interesting to, to regular people because they steal from the rich. No, the, these are thieves who later become murderers. These days, alleged Pink Panthers make the occasional appearance in the media. But more often than not, the reports are a bit anticlimactic because their heists aren't successful. To the index now in a major takedown overseas, police arresting five suspected members of the notorious Pink Panther gang during a jewel heist in Barcelona. Reports like this one from ABC News in 2016 about a failed Pink Panthers heist, one where the authorities were several steps ahead of the would-be thieves, are becoming more common. And as Hervé Conan told NPR, one reason for this is geopolitics. Detective Conan of the Paris police says the Pink Panther era is nearly finished. He says most of the thieves hail from Serbia and Montenegro, which are becoming more willing to hand over suspects to international law enforcement. Serbia and Montenegro want to, to go in the European Union. So in the past they were uh, untouchable and now they can be arrested. The Panthers are no longer able to flee back to Serbia and live openly and well on their ill-gotten gains now that the Serbian government sees more value in extraditing them. Overall, the Pink Panthers simply can't operate the way they once did. And so, they've become less of a priority for law enforcement. Interpol shut down Ron Noble's Pink Panther task force in 2016. And recently, Interpol itself has come under scrutiny for alleged abuses of its red notice system. They alerted issues to law enforcement around the world about the presence of criminals in their jurisdiction. Chief among the abusers of this system the United Arab Emirates. Human rights attorney Rada Sterling says that Interpol has allowed its red notices to be used by the Emirati government as a pretext to target its enemies. I've removed hundreds of these notices over the years. I present evidence to Interpol that this should never have been uh, put to Interpol in the first place. And they agree with me, but they don't do anything to stop it. So the UAE is absolutely abusing that access to the database, but Interpol doesn't want to upset them. In the past several years, the UAE has publicly donated over $50 million to Interpol an incentive for the international organization to leave well enough alone. And they're a huge donor, and they're also a partner in fighting other sorts of more high-profile crime. They definitely don't want to lose that relationship. Something else has changed since Bojana, Mladen and Milan 
pulled off their heist at the Wafi Mall in Dubai. According to journalist Ivan Angelovsky, the United Arab Emirates and Serbia have developed a much more intimate relationship. After 2012, UAE and Serbia got into some kind of cooperation. From then on, there are lots of Balkan people in UAE. Now you have some of the major kingpins of Balkan organized crime living in UAE because of protections they have there. And, says Angelovsky, in 2013, the Emirati government began pouring money into infrastructure projects in Serbia. There are these several projects in Serbia funded by money from UAE. Some suspect that it's actually money from Serbia that went to UAE and then back to Serbia. And there are lots of, for example, arms deals. So there are these connections that are basically shady. But all of that comes after the Dubai heist. As for Interpol's energetic young Secretary General, Ron Noble, who championed the organization's pursuit of the Pink Panthers, he retired from Interpol in 2016 to enter the private sector. He now has a number of business interests in Dubai. Why do people get driven to a life of crime? Former Interpol director Wayne Salzgeber. I think certainly in the recent history, you've seen people with high skill sets that now are confronted with a economic issue. Like in Yugoslavia, when the sanctions came in, they're forced to do other things. They'll figure out how to use their skills, whether it be with weapons, with violence, with technology, whether it be state-driven or motivated by money. So I, I think all of it, you know, it's the story of crime. When you become someone who can survive in a broken society, you get creative, you get resourceful. Reporter Eric Pape has thought a lot about the roads not taken of people like Milan Lepoya, Mladen Lazarevich and Bojana Metic, the hypothetical lives they and other Pink Panthers might have had given other circumstances. In Malcolm X's autobiography, he writes a whole section about all of the different people he's doing time with in prison. And at one point, he says, you know, there are all these guys, if they had access to a different life, they could have been amazing. And he went crime by crime among his friends in prison and sort of thought, what would they have been like in a better life? Of course, not every person facing the challenges of life in post-war Serbia turned to boosting diamonds from Graf and Harry Winston. Some adapted in other ways that were less criminal in nature. But for Eric Pape, the Pink Panthers ultimately may have managed to acquire that one thing that they seem to value most. Just the fact that we're talking about this, you know, almost a decade and a half later, tells me that, yeah, it was a really great yarn. And I think the authors of this yarn are the Pink Panthers themselves. They seem to have been brilliant in their choice of crimes, but they also told a story. I think it's the reason that we are still talking about it. That's it for this season of Infamous International, the story of the Pink Panthers. I'm Natalia Antalava of Coda Story. Thank you for listening. Infamous International, the Pink Panthers story, was produced by Best Case Studios in association with Coda Story. 
hosted by me, Natalia Antalava, and written by Katrina Wolf, Adam Pincus, Suzanne Myers, and David Markowitz, with help from Brent Katz and Matt Levin. For Best Case Studios, executive producer, Adam Pincus, senior producer, David Markowitz, producer, Katrina Wolf, associate producer, Hannah Libovitz Lockhart, and consulting producers, Julie Goldstein and Louis Spiegler. For Coda Story, reporting by Alan Greenberg, with associate producer, Rebecca Robinson. Edited and sound designed by Galen Mullins and Max Michael Miller. Special thanks to Dean White and James Hansen. Music by Dave Harrington. Archival producers, Magda Gora and Paul Dallas. This has been an exactly right production. Executive producers, Karen Kilgariff, Georgia Hartstark, and Danielle Kramer, with consulting producer, Kyle Ryan.